Hello, everyone, and welcome to EduMax. So this is a very special episode. I'm super excited because in the house, we have Dr. Angela Dye. Welcome. Welcome, Angela. Hey. Hey. Hey, great to have you here. So thank you so much for joining us today. So I'm going to tell all of our listeners a little bit about you. So Dr. Angela Dye is a developer of the Empowerment Starts Here brand. There, she brings together the social sciences and education to promote social change and resistance for disadvantaged communities. Through her brand, she is a published author, creator of an emerging theory for teaching and learning, developer of K-12 curriculum for higher order, higher order thinking and social action, and is a former charter school designer and operator. Dr. Dai holds a bachelor's degree in social science and education, a master's degree in school and instructional leadership, and a PhD in education, where she studied power as related to low-income African-American learners. She currently serves as an adjunct professor teaching graduate students about theories on human development, learning, and leadership. She is also a public speaker and serves as a life coach for those living in the margins. Finally, she is a host and executive producer of the Empowerment Starts Here podcast, where she talks weekly about power, social change, and disrupting the margins. All right. So, so happy to have you here. And thank you for having me last week on your show. That was, that was super cool. I think this is perfect. Thanks for, thanks for having me and thanks for being on my show. And I'm looking forward to, you know, growing and learning with you. Oh, just the beginning. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Same here. Same here. I'm super excited to be connected to you and, and I'm learning so much from you. So just to introduce yourself to um, to our viewers, then what's your background and uh, who or what inspired you to go into education? So I have been doing education all of my adult life. So my background really is um, education, but how I got into it was um, uh, it was a, it's a little bit, it's, it, well, I guess it's a little interesting. I've always been interested in social change. Um, always. I mean, I, I think I can go back to being five. And um, so when I when I finally made my way into college, and that's a story, that's a different story um, because I barely graduated from high school. So when I finally made my way into college, um, I knew I wanted to. Um, I thought that I wanted to go to law school, and they told me, and I wanted to get into politics, as a matter of fact. And so I knew I needed. A, I wanted a law degree, and they said that the best uh, bachelor's pro, uh, degree. For preparation for law school would be social science. So that's kind of what I did. Um, and then we had to, the school I went to, we had to have um, two minors. Education. So you know what I did? I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, all right. Um, I decided to minor in secondary education. And by the time I got to the field work, so in my clinicals, it was a wrap. I was I was a natural in the classroom. I mean, I really enjoyed it, and I didn't I didn't expect to do that. Um, and so I just ultimately decided that my 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 passion for social change. Um, I, well, let me say this: right after college, I got a job with the local um, city hall uh, to do some kind of community-based work, still in education, but not in the traditional classroom. And they hired me to launch a program to kind of get it going. I was really excited about that, like locating facilities, developing the curriculum, um, developing community partnerships. So once that program is up and running, the, the, the day-to-day weekly man, uh, maintenance of that, I got bored. And so I started desiring that what I had experienced as a student teacher in my field work, that fulfillment that I had in the classroom, I just didn't have it. 
at that in that position. So um, I put this in my book. So it was a really weird way that a job, a teaching job came up. And I was like, I'm not going to apply for a teaching job because and this is after I graduated, because at the job that I was in, they had hand, they, they created that position for me. And I just felt like it wouldn't be right for me to go out and uh, do job searching, but I just wasn't pleased. And so anyway, literally that job came to me. It was a teaching job. I had to take a pay cut, but I was so happy doing it. And so I've been in education ever, ever since then. So that's my background and that's how I got there. Wow, that is super cool. And, you know, I think it's funny, like, uh, I don't I don't remember that we talked about this, but I think that we both have that interest in law in common. And, uh, you know, some oh, other, okay. yeah, some other educators as well. So that's like a very, very common uh, interest that a lot of us seem to share. So that's so cool. I mean, so. it's a, it's an opportunity to connect with young people. And I, and I, even though like, I, and I'm going to talk about this later, I'm really, um, I'm really interested in the social change side of my work, but I also, um, I, that the, the art and science of teaching and learning is, is a, it's very rewarding. I mean, it's very fulfilling. So, yeah, yes. I'm not surprised to hear that. Absolutely. What fuels your passion for exploring the power din- dynamics in society? So when I was, uh, um, I told people that um, I, I had an interesting childhood. I mean, everybody has a story, right? Uh, but my story is one that um, there was domestic violence in my home. And then there was my mom, you know, once my parents got a divorce, my mom was a single parent. Um, We didn't have a lot of resources. And we spent a lot of time at Granny's house, which is in the hood, you know. But Mm -hmm. really, where we were at was like adjacent to the hood. I mean, (laughs) if we didn't know that we were in the hood, um, I know that now. Uh, But before our parents got a divorce, they, for a brief moment, they had... um, they lived in, in like a suburb. So I went to a, an affluent white school within a affluent white community just for a brief period. And I saw a difference at, you know, in uh, first grade. Uh, and the difference between that community and the community, my neighborhood, were at my granny's house. I could tell the difference. I didn't really understand, you know, why people live differently. And there was, when I mean different, there was, this, you know, there was hardship visible right. um, to me as a child. And so um, I've always been interested in equalizing things. Like um, as, as a kid, I just really wanted to take that community in my gra- at my grandmother's house, around my grandmother's house, and, and help them to be more like the community and those who like to be in the affluent neighborhood. And, uh, and so that was all my, always my interest. So I kind of went through several stages of understanding what my approach would be to social change. Um, Initially, I thought that it was all about offering people um, an opportunity to develop skills. That if they could just develop some some skills, then that disparity wouldn't exist. Now, we know that's that's a joke, right? You know, that's kind of funny. But at one point, I thought that. So after I did the um, skill development, um, I realized that it wasn't about skills. It was really about structural inequity, you know, and just being really interested in that. And so as an educator, um, being really committed to skill development, I didn't really come to understand this until I started my own school, that this di- there's a dynamic of power 
that even in education uh, we experience. And so for me, I've been wanting to get back to my first love for social change. And so that allows, that tells me that I will, well, here, let me say it this way. Going back to my first love for social change, I want to help other people to understand that power is a real thing. Right? We talk a lot about empowerment, but many people don't do empowerment as related to power. Um, mm. They do empowerment really as related to compliance. Like if you do these things, your life will be better. And that's not actually the case. So it's my desire for me to better understand power because I still don't have it. I'm still interested. I'm still a student of it. Um, but as I'm learning, I want to share that with other people so that they under they better understand how to fight to do the work. Um, totally feel you on that, and and always appreciate your sharing um, in your in your learning process. That's uh, I've learned so much from you and from the guests on your show. So thank you so much for for being such a sharer. Okay. Well, thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, so we talked a little bit about your, your journey in education um, and experiences that have brought you to where you are today. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about your experience with building your own charter school. So um, in the EduMatch Boxer Group, some of our members um, were also saying that they were interested in building their own school. So what was that process like? Well, first of all, let me just say that what I'm going to talk about is um, I started my school in 2004 and I closed it in 2009. So that was a while ago. And then I took on another charter school um, in 2010 to 2011. So I don't think that the, the process is the same as today as it was when I went through it. So I just want to really put that up front. But I do believe that there are some major, major milestones that um, you kind of have to go through and you have to achieve to get to school. But for me, um, I was interested in, um, I've been developing curriculum. So my real passion. I got into the charter school because I wanted to experience my curriculum. That was really it. So I've been developing this curriculum um, because I had kind of developed a reputation uh, for working with highly um, students that have been um, disconnected from schools. They had been, you know, the dis disenfranchised from the learning process. I was able to get those students to be, to come into my classrooms and be very scholarly and very engaged. And I, I, I talked about this on another podcast that it was nothing for other teachers to pop into my classroom because they wanted to see, they heard, they had heard through the grapevine and Johnny, um, Johnny, Johnny's doing work in your class. He doesn't want to do work in anybody's class. So I had kind of had something, something about what I was doing in the classroom. I wanted to figure out how to put it, in curriculum. And so I had been working on this curriculum. Again, you know, I was interested in social change. So working on like a social change leadership curriculum, I had, I had a vision of uh, teaching social studies outside of the classroom, like teaching social studies where there are no desks. And the students are just completely immersed into the, in the neighborhoods, in the communities that they live in. And so I had been working on that curriculum. And then um, I had a couple of, I had an opportunity, I had a principal who allowed me to do some programming um, experiment where I was able to take two classes and bring them together uh, with, with a lunch period in the middle with some travel time. So I had um, students had classroom work and then they had what was called field work. So, I mean, once he, he once that principal allowed me to, to have that experience, I really was interested in, man, 
what would it be like if I had my students the whole day engaged in this curriculum? Um, so uh, several people kept saying, you know, you probably want to put an application for a charter school, but I mean, I was young and I, I, I mean, I wasn't accomplished. I wasn't even a homeowner at the time. Um, so I'm like, what? how can I start a charter school, right? I have no resources or anything. But, um, but so I just kind of, you know, for me, and I will, uh, will list some of those milestones for your listeners, but I think for me, I, I just really want to say that going after that charter contract, believe it or not, was never about getting a school. I know that sounds weird. It really wasn't, though. For me, it was about I have a responsibility to go after it. If, if that was available, right? If that was available in my community, that those charter contracts, you could compete for it to provide K-12 education or 6-12 education, it would be irresponsible for me not to go after it, especially when I sit in front of kids every day talking about being social change agents, following your dreams, taking a risk, doing something big, right? Like those are the, those are the messages right. I was teaching. Right. You know what I mean? And so for me, so when um, so I, so I had this curriculum and decided to, I went to the local district and I said, okay, what, what's the process for getting a charter? And they gave, and it, most people, all you need to do is just contact the, uh, um, the local authorizers. For us in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, we have four options. All uh, cities don't have that. You know, we, Wisconsin kind of is one of the leading states. I think we were the second state um, to move forward, the second or third state to move forward in the whole charter school movement. So you go to the local authorizer, they'll give you a list of things that you need to do. And I just started working the list, literally, step by step. And every time I would make it past a milestone, I would, you know, I was just like, okay, on to the next one. You know what I mean? I, I was just focused on doing my part. And I honestly believe at some point they were going to stop me, right? <laughs> at some point they were like, okay, you as far as you can go. And I tell people all the time, that night, that night that the, the, the board, the local board voted and approved my contract, I came home and I, was, I remember going to bed and I was like, what have you done? <laughs> oh my God, what have you done? You know, so I think and I say I share that story because there's this really nasty debate about charter schools, charter public schools, and traditional public schools. And I think that a, a huge, part, um, a significant part of that debate is valid. So I don't want to kind of, I don't want to validate it. But for me, I don't fit into one side or the other. For me, opening a charter school was not about oh, I thought the public schools were doing a terrible job. I had a unique curriculum. Mm-hmm. And I felt that I wanted to pursue that. It was the charter school. They were making it available. The contracts were making those contracts available. I wanted to go after it. I wanted to model doing something, being a risk taker for my students. And also, I mean, I wanted to be a part of other Black women throughout history who have pr- provided education for our community, right? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be a part of a, a legacy in that way. So. So that's kind of how I got into it. Um, just for your listeners, though, these are the major milestones as that I remember going through it. Um, you know, you definitely have to compete for that contract. And that in itself is probably, a, that is a big deal. It's very political. 
And of course, you have to locate facilities. You have to make sure the facilities are up to code. Um, you definitely have to recruit. <laughs> that was an interesting experience for me, recruiting families um, and students and um, and, and building, building partnerships. I would say those are the um, major pieces. And of course, having curriculum, but that, you know, I had already, I'd been working on that curriculum long before I thought about the charter school. I was just working right. on it. Never knew what I was going to do with it. You are listening to EduMatch. VedChat is a new way for teachers to connect. Twitter is amazing because it binds far-flung teachers together through text. But why is sustained video chat between teachers not a thing? Probably because video is a big commitment and no one likes to look or sound bad on video. Flipgrid changes the game because it makes video creation safe and satisfying for everyone because you can re-record your video responses as many times as you want. So join other connected teachers every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern for VedChat at www.vedchat.com. That's V-E-D-Chat.com. See you there. Now back to more learning on the Edge of Match podcast. What were like some of the victories and the lessons learned in this process of creating and running the school? Honestly, it was, I did it. That's the victory. Right. I did it. I mean, I mean, I can really just leave it right there, right? It's a big yeah. deal. Yes, that is. Being that black, being female, coming from lower socioeconomic. I didn't have, you know, like I, I know other people who had to put second mortgages on their homes to, to bring in um, the resources that they needed to start the school. I didn't have that. I didn't have um, uh, parents who had money or parents who had connections. I didn't have that. And as a matter of fact, because I did have that, there were people who not just doubted me because that was a that that's separate. There were people who doubted me. Okay, but I had people who were offended that I was even going through the process. Wow. I had people who were really offended that I was going through the process. So I remember a mentor telling me, "She said for every person who doubts you." Every time somebody doubts, you put it on the calendar. Just mm. write it on the calendar. It's their name, and you'll see. And she yes. said, because when that school happens, right, you know, if that school, that school happens, you'll be able to flip to that calendar and say, you remember, you doubted me, you doubted me, you doubted me, right? right? And even though, yeah, and this is kind of after I had um, really committed to the process. I know, like I told you earlier, I wasn't 100% sure I was going to have the school, and I was really taking it step by step. But I didn't really appreciate that when I would tell people, well, what are you doing? What are you working on? Well, I'm working on starting the charter school. Like, I, oh, that's so cute. I mean, that, that was oh. one of the reactions. Oh, she's going to start a charter school, you know. Oh, my goodness. That's <laughs> um, so that was the reaction. <laughs> I didn't say, but, you know, then there were some people who were like, really? And one guy was like, do you even have a business plan? And actually, I didn't. <laughs> like, I didn't. <laughs> I was like, yes, I have one. <laughs> you know, he wasn't really supportive, you know. So all I right. tell people all the time, honestly, you know, I tell people all the time, I entered into that process as a teacher. I, 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 I entered it as a businesswoman. You know, so there are things that I learned, and I, I know we're going to move into the lessons. There are things that I learned that, you know, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't do it that way. But guess what? You have to start it. The only way you're going to learn is by starting the process. Mm -hmm. You have to do it. Right. Okay, that's it. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, there, you know, that's that's the only way to learn, like you said, by doing it. So definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. So you were saying that, that uh, you were going to share some of the some of the lessons learned as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I was naive. You remember I told you, I'm like, oh, people just need the opportunity to develop skills. This is how empowerment works. No. And so in my book, I talk about, um, I, call, I, I called it um, invisible giants. Mm. So, of course, there were daily battles. I mean, battle, it's fire after fire. And um, I have to talk about, I had to create a, um, I created a, a rubric for problem solving for my staff. You know, like it was like level one through level seven. When you should activate me <laughs> to solve the problem. When you need to come and activate me to assist in solving this problem because I am fighting battles at levels five, six, and seven that no one can assist with. So you right. cannot come and get me at level one. I right. cannot be put into level one and level two problems, you know, and they wouldn't. Like, I remember they would call, we ran out of toilet paper. No, we got to uh, have a different way of problem solving. <laughs> right, exactly. So okay. Like, once I put together that river group, but I said that to say that, you know, um, I mean, it's daily battles, these daily battles. And for the most part, I'm okay with that. As long as I, it's up front as a battle, I understand what I'm dealing with. But the most difficult battles to fight were the invisible ones. Mm. Oh my God, they were so difficult. Because nobody would think, nobody was talking about it as a battle. I didn't really understand why, what the problem was. Um, and so I had to, I had to, in order to problem solve those invisible, or I call them invisible giants, I had to make them visible. Mm-hmm. So for a good portion of the fight, fight, my fighting was just to figure out a way to make that battle, make my enemy appear. Mm. Make him or make him or, uh, appear. And once we can identify this challenge, then I can go after it. So I had people who told me, uh, you don't deserve a school. What? I had many people who told me that you don't even deserve a school. And most of them were white men who said that to me. I did have one parent who said it to me and she was like, because you don't have kids, you don't deserve this. And oh so she goodness. just, she felt like I wasn't um, meeting her where she was as a single parent uh, because she had a child that was, you know, needing additional um, support and, um, and we, were, we work with all students. We work with all students. Uh, but part of the working with that child meant calling mama. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so she was like, you keep calling me at work. Yes, because Sarah, that wasn't her name, but Sarah right. keeps doing this thing, right? And so, um, so that was the only time I had um, a person of color uh, say that to me. But most of the people who said I didn't deserve the school, they were white men. Um, and I remember once, like, my, my teachers, I wouldn't really tell people I was the executive director. They would meet me, and I, they said, I said, I'm a teacher, because I taught the first couple of years as well, you know. And so um, I remember going into a meeting, and um, my, one of my coworkers, she, coworker, she, she was my staff, but I identified her as my coworker. And right. she was like, why don't you tell the people who you're the executive director? And I, it was just hard. It was just new for me. I still felt very much like a teacher. But um, we went, we had a meeting and um, I had to, uh, first I was the one who authorized spending. Mm-hmm. I think we were meeting with someone for computers and we were going to make this major purchase. And I usually would bring my team into those meetings and we we're sitting side by side. They 
the the salesperson would never would never make eye contact with me. Would look mm-hmm. at my white staff members. So one they finally had to say, "You do know she's she's the one. <laughs> she's the one that's right. gonna have to authorize this. You need to be talking to her, right?" So that's a mild example, but um, you know, I just feel like it was it was those invisible battles, and that's what really made me go back when I went to school to, to work on my PhD to really start looking at power. You know what I mean? To better understand, because power is this invisible thing, you know? And I and there are a lot of progressive educators who believe power is not a thing. It's wow. not a thing or it's not a good thing. So anyway, I know we don't have all night, so I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> oh, but I could listen to you all night, though. Like, this is, I, I really, really appreciate you sharing your story. Like, again, I'm learning so much from from listening to you. And I, I love the invisible giants and just that takeaway of, of letting the the enemy be seen like that that just really resonated mm-hmm. with me yep stay tuned edge of match we'll be right back thank you so much for listening to the edge match podcast quick question for you have you checked out our website at edumatch.org If not, you might want to hop on that because we have some tools on there that can help you push your PLN into overdrive. I just want to tell you about one of them today. So if you hover over Get Connected, the very first option is a person of the day form. This is where it all began. All you have to do is fill it out. You can put as much or as little information as you want. And we will tweet out this information over a day to our growing network of international educators. In essence, we're using the power of social media to connect you along lines of similar interests. You will also be added to our awesome table of edumatchers, so definitely check that out on the databases page. Now, I'm going to keep it real with you. There is a little bit of a wait, but don't worry about that because as we find matches that come up, then we will tag you. In addition, if you have a blog with an RSS feed, then we will tweet that out to our growing network. You never know what's going to happen when you sign up on our person of the day form. You just might find that magical connection that will change everything for you and your students. So sign up today. What do you have to lose? Check us out, edumatch.org, person of the day form, one of many, many tools that will push your PLN into overdrive. You're listening to EduMatch. So during our conversation, and you also, um, our conversation a, a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned that you plan to open another school. So what's your inspiration and uh, where where are you currently in the process? So I actually, um, I don't know if I said this, I actually have um, been working on a network. Mm. So a lot of the charter schools that are opening um, now, they are a part of some kind of network. Some of them are uh, for profit, and some of them are nonprofit, and they provide um, what I would call district level support to local schools. So for me, when I was a when I was a charter school operator, there were things that we needed. Remember, I told you I had the levels of uh, the level the rubric for problem solving, mm-hmm. levels five, six, and seven. Right. When it hit level seven, there was there was no one else I could go to. I had to solve that problem. That's scary, lonely, you know what I mean? And, and so I want to um, provide that kind of support for school leaders, school teams, 
who are really trying to do transformative work in the community. So for the last five years, I've had off and on different, what I call design teams, and we've been putting together um, a network uh, design that I believe is really competitive. Mm -hmm. And um, this year, I, I put, I, paw, I parked it. I uh, haven't canceled it, but the funding aspect is really going to require me to be creative. And this is what I want to say to anybody who's interested in starting a school, especially if you're a social change agent. Like, it's one thing to start a school and you're going to do compliance. You're going to, the district or the authorizer tells you to do these things. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. Right. But if you're a social change agent, you are going to think critically about those steps because many of the things they want you to do won't make a difference in our community. Mm. They're not transformative. They're prescriptive. So that's the same thing with funding. The moment you take someone's money, they control how you spend it. They then control the agenda. Mm -hmm. Right? So here you say, okay, and this is the thing. So you want to, there is a lot of work in having, starting your own school. So you really need to believe in that agenda. You have to. But when your funders can start controlling that, um, especially right now. So what we've been trying to do is think, think um, creatively about how we would get funded. And, and so that's kind of where, where I'm, I'm at right now, is um, trying to come up with a real creative plan for funding so that the reason why I closed my school was because in order to keep that track, I was gonna have to become more like what already existed. Well, that didn't make any sense to me. I wasn't making the money that a traditional principal makes by far. Yeah, you know, I know right. people think there's a lot of money in it. I still haven't figured that part out yet, <laughs> but I, right. it was too much work, and I was I didn't get paid enough to sit there and do all that work, and then not offer the community anything different, not do the things that we said we were going to do. So that's the same thing with funding. Well, definitely. But the... there are listeners out there who have access to money, and you really want to invest in a, a social change. <laughs> I'm your girl. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. You want to do some real transformative work. I am the person you need to talk to. So definitely. Oh, no, no, by all means. Definitely. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes. So, yeah, that those are just words of wisdom that I know are going to definitely resonate with our edumatchers who will be tuning in when we put this out. So uh really okay. really yes so um so i love what you were saying about knowing exactly what the purpose is and um and that you know that is just um amazing that you were that you were able to just you know realize that when it started straying from that that uh that you know it's time to to switch gears and i'm glad that you are coming mm -hmm. back to support others who are um who are you know um who are in this journey as well so that's just fantastic. Yeah. So kudos to you on that and uh, best Thank wishes you. for the future. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. So you're, so everything that you shared today, it's just so empowering. And, um, you know, I would love um, for, for you to give your information so that um, our listeners can get in touch with you online. So could you tell us where to find you online? Okay, well, you're not run, run off at the mouth on Twitter. You already know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm running off, running off at the mouth on Twitter. So that's a, um, that's a really good outlet for me to be an educator, to be a social change agent. And I, sometimes I show up on Twitter just as a black woman, right? Like, I, 
I talk through my issues as a black woman. So you can find me on Twitter. Um, it's a funky spelling of educator. It's E-J-U-C, the number eight, the letter O-R. There's only one number in that, E-J-U-C-8-O-R. That's my handle. Um, you can also, um, you can type in Empowerment Starts Here in Google. And a number of ways my book will come up, my couple of websites will come up. So I mean, Empowerment Starts Here really is my, like I said, my brand. Um, and I would say that I have a website that's called uh, EmpowermentStartsHere.net. You can um, also use the Contact Me button on that, that feature. And um, if you want to send me a private message as well. But I, I love hearing from people, you know, so I hope you contact me. All right. Awesome. Awesome. And definitely subscribe to her podcast as well, y'all. So check her out. Oh, Angela yeah. Dye, PhD. Yes. Yes, indeed. Her podcast yeah. is. And congratulations to you on oh. your, your, your accomplishment. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yes. Yeah, okay. Still brand spanking new. So. So, yeah, mm-hmm. and I remember that we were talking last week saying that it never, you never really get used to it, right? <laughs> well, yeah, because I was like, when people would say Dr. Die, I would just giggle, like, who are you talking to? Like, oh, you're talking about me, you know? So it <laughs> took me a minute to get used to it. And I still giggle sometimes, like, they just call me doctor. So anyway, you, <laughs> you have to let me know when you start getting comfortable with it, but it's okay, it's okay. Okay, okay, that might be years down the line, but I would definitely let you know. Okay. Thank you again. Thank you so much for uh, for joining Thanks us for today. Me. Yeah, it was great to chat with you. So everybody who's tuning in, listening, so this will be available um, hopefully before Thanksgiving. So we'll definitely um, edit this, put it out um, on our EduMatch podcast. So um, check it out on iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. It's like everywhere, Podbean. Um, so. Also, let's see. So depending on when you listen to this, then we will be having the EduSnap 17 Authors Bonanza coming up on the weekend of November 18th. So we're going to have three authors in a 24-hour period. And then the following weekend, or I'm sorry, the following week, that Wednesday, we're going to have three more authors all on that Wednesday. So EduSnap 17 Bonanza with all of the authors. So uh, subscribe to the podcast, bit.ly forward slash edumatch podcast and uh that about does us in for the week so everybody have a great week and a great holiday and uh catch y'all next time